Welcome to the first episode of Neurotech Daily. I'm today's host, Toma. On this podcast, we educate students, academics, and curious minds alike about the pioneers leading the neurotech industry. Today, we are joined by Adam Molnar, head of partnerships and co-founder of Neurable. We are super excited about Neurable, who's leading the consumer neurotech market. Neurable was kind enough to invite us to their headquarters in Boston, where we got to demo their newest technology. Welcome, Adam. Hi, everyone. Yeah, pleasure to be a part of this and happy to contribute however I can. Yeah, thank you. Um, so just briefly for the audience, uh, could you explain sort of who you are and how you got involved in Neurable? Yeah, so my name is Adam Molnar. I'm a co-founder and a head of business of Neurable. I joined my crazy mad scientist co-founder about seven years ago now. And with that, have been trying to commercialize neurotechnology developments for the better part of the decade, beginning initially with immersive systems and now having moved to more broadly available uh, form factors. Awesome. So you know, you've talked about in the past that you were part of an incubator where you met uh, Dr. Alcane, and you must have seen a bunch of startups go through that. You know, why Dr. Alcane? Why Neurable? Yeah, so uh, I was just mentioning this on a, on a previous call that aside from Ramsey's being brilliant, uh, his superpower truly is resilience. The, out of the 50, 60 companies that I managed as part of that accelerator program, Nurable and maybe one or two others are still around today. So it's it's been a long journey, but uh, when I w was back then, when I was that program manager, I saw this presentation that Ramses was giving on the very, very early ideas of Neurable and how pervasive a BCI could be and what that means in terms of the future of compute. And uh, I knew that I wanted to get involved. So I asked this crazy mad scientist if he was looking for anyone to help him on this campaign and he said absolutely and that's how that happened awesome could you have imagined working in neurotech absolutely not no. uh i mean i didn't know that neurotech was a thing until i saw ramsey's with this mind controlled uh, ver uh remote control car controlling it literally with pure neural activity alone Granted that this was a very messy 32 wet electrode array at this point in time, but <laughs> yeah. with that one demo, I, I was able to understand the, the impact and the extremely high ceiling of application and potential. Right. So at this time, like Neuralink was not around. Was it kind of scary jumping into this? I think it's scary to jump into any kind of startup or new technology field and BCI is definitely one of the ones with fewer precedent than others, especially at the time of launching. It wasn't until a couple of years later after we started that Neuralink came out and brought a lot of attention and actually credibility to the domain in addition to scrutiny and some other consequences. But overall, yeah, any, any plunge into the unknown is uncomfortable. Right. Move on to talking about N10 from uh, Neurable. So could you explain what Enten is, uh, who the target user is, and some of the features? Yeah, the idea is that 
EEG is so rich, it's just really hard to work with. So with our background, our technology, our IP, what we were able to do was take what had historically been done in laboratories and apply it to sensors that aren't the medical grade, very intensively applied, expensive systems that they are, and recreate what is a sensor. And then in addition to that, also abstract what is the meaning of EEG. To you and me, you may know that an increase in alpha over this duration of time represents this kind of cognitive shift for an individual. But to a lay person, that doesn't really mean anything. Right. So our goal was how can we make reliable, meaningful interpretations of neural activity accessible and available to people on a daily basis? And that's how we built this narrow stack that we call Brain OS into various uh, audio-based products, specifically the headphones that we're talking about, where we created the components that can integrate into most over-the-ear headphone systems and then make that accessible to people as commonly as they would use an Apple Watch, Fitbit, Whoop, Wear Ring, etc. How do we follow this wearable trend but actually provide actionable content and data that's based off your neurophysiology, neurophysiology as opposed to your heart rate or steps that are abstracted from gyroscope and accelerometer. Some of the early features, for example, uh, we're in the middle of a pilot with the Mayo Clinic and one of our uh, scale partners that we're looking at the benefit of using some of the biomarkers we've identified with cognitive fatigue and how that represents a benefit to people we, we call them knowledge workers. So mm -hmm. someone who's likely working remotely or in an office in front of a computer, how can we use these biomarkers to help people take better breaks that people are actually not as good at taking breaks as they think they are. People work themselves to exhaustion. People are uh, often uh, not so in touch with the clues that their body is giving them, if any. A really helpful analogy we give is around dehydration, that people don't really get thirsty until they're already dehydrated. And at that point, it's already too late. Your performance is taking a hit. Some of the circumstances where that isn't the case is if you're being cued, like if I remind, hey, like you should take a sip of water. It's like, ah, like now I want to take a sip from my water bottle. Right. Um, so the idea is that we could actually use intelligent biomarkers from brain activity to help people feel better, take fewer breaks, destigmatize break culture in the U.S., and overall help people feel better. And that's just one feature of many that we're rolling out with uh, this product next year. All right, awesome. There's a lot there. Um, I'm wondering, so you talk about knowledge workers. Is that the main target audience? Yeah, so we have various personas or breakdowns of different types of customers that would fit into the product that we're, or, or I guess that our product is built for next year. I don't want to get too involved in that conversation, but basically uh, people who use wearables are trying to do be, be the best version of themselves in some kind of professional environment. Those are the people that we're initially targeting. But the implications and impacts scale way beyond that, like, we're already seeding our early studies with using this for longitudinal tracking of EEG for biomarker detection, intervention uh, tracking, efficacy tracking, uh, a whole bunch of candidacy evaluation, a whole bunch of things that are 
technically medically oriented, but that begin when you have a device that allows for comfortable, all day reliable uh, data collection. Right, right. So Entit is currently uh, measuring focus, but um, you've mentioned that Neurable is a signal processing company in past uh, podcasts, which is the basis for a lot of different applications beyond focus um, and like taking breaks. But how did you end up pursuing or starting with focus? Yeah, so, and this is where a lot of consumer BCI falls short because it's so hard that there are many gaps that we've identified between mass commercialization of consumer BCI and where we're at today. And that involves choices like cost or performance or uh, comfort, social acceptance, meaning does it look like I'm wearing a piece of neurotechnology right. or does it look like I'm wearing a pair of headphones? Uh, there are all of these trade-offs that a lot of companies push and pull trade or sacrifice in order to get one of those done well. And one of our major challenges at Nervo is having to do all of those well for this mass market device. So we had to become a signal, pro we were a signal processing company, but we also had to become uh, a sensor company and we also had to become an algorithmic interpretation company. So with that, we started with Focus because Focus has a lot of existing literature and basis uh, to prove that it's there, so that helped de-risk using that as a driving capability, meaning that the product isn't just giving you focus, the product is using a measure of attention to build and create these various different types of features that take into account that measurement. For example, like the take a break feature that uses changes of the, the biomarkers in regards to cognitive decline, which we have as attention changes, to let you know when is a good time to recuperate. Um, but it's not just attention, it's just that attention is shown to have been well understood in the lab and now our goal is to take that out of the lab into the everyday. Right, right. Um, can you comment on maybe some exciting applications that you might integrate with this uh, headphone in the future? Um, I would wait. Okay. For a little bit, but <laughs> the answer is there are exciting integrations. They're just not public right now. Right. Okay. So let's step away from just N10. Um, I want to hear about what you think are the killer applications of uh, neurotechnology in general. Mm -hmm. So assuming you know some of the challenges get solved with uh, commercialization, what do you think, or what is the most exciting application? There's so many exciting applications, and I think it's it's what type of application or for what type of user, because the killer app for uh, a patient is not the same killer app for right. um, someone working at a Fortune 500 company. Like, I, I really like the work that Rune Labs is doing in terms of making Parkinson's symptom tracking more scalable and more right. Uh, and I think BCI has a huge potential to impact that by being able to color in a lot of the unknown that we don't know. Um, for me, I think also hands-free control of augmented reality systems when they become ubiquitous will be very important. That, uh, and, and we talked about this a lot in our early days of Neurable that 
with every major shift in computing, there's a companion interaction shift that accompanies it. For example, before personal computers, computers were these massive warehouse machines fed with punch cards that had very specialized knowledge in order to operate. And it wasn't until Apple uh, popularized the graphical user interface or keyboard and mouse that it was then made available to lay individuals and right. uh, became what the powerhouse is today. And, and something similar with smartphone technology where smartphone technology exists about a decade before Apple made the capacitive touchscreen standard and now we, we couldn't have anything less than that. And uh, I think a, a similar shift will be encountered when specifically AR, but also VR, when that whole spectrum in between becomes more mainstream, that uh, that new computing paradigm will require a new way to interface with that data and a new way to, in my opinion, like protect against this. Like, how can we use clues from our body to help better attune ourselves to rapid technological changes? It's a little bit of a packed statement, but uh, the, the, the long answer short is that there are a lot of killer apps, uh, but I think the, the first ones that will really catch on are allowing EEG for longitudinal tracking in medical applications and uh, being a strong accompaniment to wearable products to help enrich everything that things like Apple Watch or Fitbit or Whoop are doing, but taking it to a whole other level and bringing in the mental health aspect into it as opposed to the physical health. So you mentioned um, Rune Lab with their uh, Strive PD. Mm -hmm. Do you envision Neurobull partnering with, um, you know, medical or clinical studies, or becoming like a medical grade wearable? We are already having those conversations and working on those projects. So I do envision it, but we're also already working. On it. <laughs> That's awesome. And in terms of sort of the control aspect, um, I know. Neurobull has done, um, has focused on control in the past. Mm. Will that technology come back into N10? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but not public. It is public. It is public. Um, but I cannot say much more. I see. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I want to uh, <laughs> of course. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, and I, I think about N10 as the, the really challenging part, I mean, there are many challenging parts, but one of the challenging parts is just getting people access to EEG. We will have flagship features and there'll be awesome features on that flagship product. But the amazing thing about that, having that system actually out there is that we can update new features and new capabilities all the time, that the ceiling is so high in terms of what it can do that we're just rolling it out initially with the ability to have all of these focus-driven features and some basic hands-free control, but that will grow very, very quickly and will be then made accessible to you. So what we can do with hands-free interaction right now is awesome, but it will get way more awesome. All right. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to look forward to that. Um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about you know the implications of uh, rolling out EEG into the consumer market. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of, you know, popular media that portrays neurotech as a threat to privacy. 
Um, how does neural neural like practically approach that, and maybe some comments on neuroethics in general? Yeah, sure. So, uh, um, <laughs> I've said this before, but a lot of it comes down to just data ethics and, and data privacy. That it's not that neurotech changes any of these considerations. It may like increase the the need and attention that we give to it, but like we should be understanding what where our data is going in terms of how we use our smartphone, what information we search when we use the internet. There is a lot of information about us already that exists, and we're trying to take the approach that whatever data that we collect from people follows the first tenet of proper data ethics, which is data should be used to primarily benefit the person from whom it came. So for Nurbles customers, like you own that data, uh, you can choose to delete it. When we collect it, we deauthenticate it from the source. So we try to protect it in as many different ways we can. There are things like GDPR and HIPAA, which are compliance that we're working towards and we'll have before, uh, hopefully have before shipping product. Uh, but the idea is that we want to safeguard it from the source, meaning the, the person, and then using that to enforce privacy considerations moving forward. What we don't want to have happen is a big brother uh, situation where right. companies or governments are using this as a surveillance tool. And that that is a scary reality and not impossible, uh, especially when... Uh, companies can be driven by ads, or if you look at where a large amount of neuro spend is occurring is in the neuromarketing space. So I think it's going to require the shift of talking about neurotech in terms of those kind of applications, at least the, the how resources are flowing, and now pouring it into wearable products and looking at how wearable products are doing this in a good way and understanding where they're falling short and remediating that as we roll this out and scale it further. Right. As one of Intense uh, features, you can monitor sort of attention and when to take breaks. And you know, one could imagine that if uh, this became a B2B product where you can monitor employees, you know, it could go one way where companies are more cognizant about when employees need to take breaks, but it could also go another way where Totally. You know, you yeah, no, I, I, I totally get where you're coming in. And that, that's what I mean we're trying to prevent Big Brother. Right. But you don't want a company to be like, hey, Bob, I could tell that you were <laughs> uh, sleeping when you really should have been working on that report. Um, that, that's not what we're going for. I, I, I point to a company called Loop for inspiration where right. they have their product, which is primarily for the end user, and the end user uses that data to inform decisions on a daily basis. But then they also have an enterprise organizational uh, application where data is aggregated, deauthenticated, and those cohort or more organizational-wide uh, findings are available to management or whomever to make better decisions. But you can use this data in a healthy way to make organizations run better. That should be a, a triple bottom line goal that benefits most organizations, if not all. Right. Yeah, excited for all these applications. So I, I finally want to talk about um, you know, the neurotech industry and how it's a little bit different from academia. You know, Neurable has the How to BCI blog, which is 
from more, a more technical perspective, and I, I found it very helpful. But as someone from a more entrepreneurial background, how would you go about breaking into the neurotech industry now? Yeah, it's a great question. I appreciate that you read our blog. Um, what I one of the the pieces of advice I give to uh, aspiring people wanting to work in the neurotech space is to identify what is the role and what kind of outcome are they looking to inspire. So, for example, like uh, BCI doesn't have a ton of precedents. Not like there is the Apple of BCI out there. The that company potentially notable is still in development. So how can people use their uh, academic or professional experience to help accelerate the development and growth? And one of the recommendations I have is to look at what is the outcome you're trying to accomplish and working and start working at a company that is parallel to that. For example, if I were in college right now, what I would want to do is I'd want to be involved with product development at a, at a wearable company uh, and one of the leading wearable companies. And knowing that ultimately I would want to work on the brain, I could then take my knowledge and expertise in that domain and then carry it over because it's, it's not exactly one-to-one, but it's, it's right. close enough. And that's uh, um, if you were to want to go make the jump from wherever you are to neurotech product. That's my recommended route, but there are also many uh, leading PCI startups, uh, both invasive and non-invasive that need as much help and work and bright minds as possible. And those companies are always hiring, like Neurable, for example. Um, There are also a bunch of labs doing really great work and organizations. So I think, again, Knowing what is the change that you're looking to inspire and then how you can then breathe that to life. Uh, there are obviously like standard skill sets that most BCI would benefit from. Signal processing, computational neuroscience, computer science. A lot of these are core tools that aren't going any going anywhere. Uh, new sensors always need to be developed. Uh, new algorithms and ML techniques need to be developed. Chips need to be developed. Um, the fashion of the systems need to be developed. So everything, like it, it it's just another technology category. It's, it's not, right. uh, yeah. No, nothing special. No, it or... is special. Um, <laughs> right. I, I, I don't want to say that it's like completely unique because it's not, but there are unique aspects to it for sure. Right. And I think one thing I find having been in our technology is that people tend to over sensationalize the brain. That it's, it's the brain is another organ, and electricity that comes from the brain is another source of data. Uh, that if we figure out how to work with it in ways that are valuable, then it's very similar to how we treat heart rate data or um, search data or voice data. A lot of these are rich biomarkers that can be used and should be used, but should be done ethically and uh, are going to be very exciting in the next few years. And another thing I've heard um, interviewing Ryan Fields from Kernel is that Kernel is aiming to make brain measurements ubiquitous by, I believe, 2033. Um, what do you think of this goal of making things ubiquitous? Well, that, that's Nervil's vision, too, that our idea is how can we get this into the hands of as many people as possible? The tagline that we have, this creating a world without limitations, started with this idea that, and I mentioned, uh, 
my co-founder, he started in prosthetics and then realized that if he was really going to affect change, he had to target the brain, that this idea of a world without limitations started with a, the very literal perspective of like physical limitations. But we've since expanded that to include things like neurodiversity and other kinds of limitations that people generally experience and are experiencing today more now than ever. And how can we use these devices, these tools, these systems to help overcome that and give ourselves some kind of a, an equalizing force as opposed to, well, only the U.S. is now going to get this benefit or only right. this country, uh, which is a somewhat of an ethical quandary between developed and developing nations. But if we can make this technology an equalizing force and make it as available as possible, then little by little we'll, we'll cut into that uh, gap. Well, thank you for your time, Adam. Um, for the listeners, where can people reach you with questions or? Um, the Neurable Discord is an excellent place. Uh, info at Neurable. Uh, find me on LinkedIn, Adam Holnar, and happy to connect and help make this field as much of an awesome place as it can be. All right. Awesome. Thank you for your time. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of Neurotech Daily. Make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes by following us on Twitter at Neurotech Daily. For more content like this, check out NeurotechJP.com. See you next time.